turn this morning to Ephesians 5, verse 25, this morning within Scripture. The Scriptures will also be on the screen this morning in this communion sermonette, this glad day. We appreciate that word, that challenge to purity, to holiness. Holiness is healthiness. Amen? Healthy, not just spiritually, but physically, emotionally. No regrets. Living life with no regrets. But even if there are, there's grace, and it covers you and me. A senior couple was lying in bed late at night. The old man was trying to fall asleep. His wife, laying there next to him, felt that she was in a romantic mood. We've been preaching on love this love month. We've shared about love and marriage in the first two services this morning. In a romantic mood, she whispered to him as he was trying to fall asleep, when you were courting, when you were dating with me, you used to hold my hand. Catching the signal, he reached over and grabbed her hand and tried to fall asleep. Seconds later, she said, you not only held my hand, but when we were dating, you used to kiss me. Giving a loud sigh, he leaned over and gave her a peck on the cheek and then turned over and tried to fall asleep again. Thirty seconds passed by and still in this romantic mood, she, she whispered to him, after you were done kissing me, you used to bite me on the neck. Giving out a loud, irritable sigh, he threw back the covers. He stood up there, turned on the light, and she said, what are you doing? Where, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get my teeth. I'm going to get my teeth. We've been ministering on love, the power of love, real love. Who is the world's greatest lover? When the Bible teaches men in how to love their wives, the greatest degree, the greatest dimension, the greatest example is the greatest lover. Paul the Apostle wrote in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I've had people look me in the eye and say, what's the big deal about Jesus dying for others, sacrificing himself for others, soldiers, Parents have sacrificed their lives, have died for others. There's no one that died or ever will die like he 
who redeemed you and I upon the cross. Our greatest lover, Jesus demonstrated the greatest love by redeeming you and I. Can you say that word, redemption? Redemption. This morning, as and I lost my keyboardist, as Cindy comes back to the keyboard, redemption. Redemption. Oh, she's so faithful. Give her a hand. She puts up so much with me. God bless her. We haven't rehearsed this this morning. The sweetest word most of the world could ever hear in ancient times was the word redemption. Just as you're reacting right now nonplussed, your average Christian, you sit down with your average church-going Christian and you ask them, explain to me the concept of redemption as in the context of the cross. And they look at you and say, say what? Redemption. It was the sweetest word in the ancient world. Do you realize that when we arrived to the first century A.D., that half the world was in bondage and in slavery. Half the planet was enslaved. There were four categories of slaves. Conquered people groups. People that could not pay their bills, pay their debts. Criminals and unwanted children, kids that parents didn't want. Those four types of people ended up in, in bondage, ended up in slavery. Slavery was the kiss of death. It was the living death. You became a non-existent person. You lost your name, your identity. It was utter hopelessness to become a slave. Yet far worse than natural slavery, far worse than natural slavery is spiritual slavery. Being in bondage, being enslaved to sin and to Satan. Who are Satan's slaves? Who are the slaves of the taskmaster called Satan? See why you need a pastor? I'm going to use a very politically incorrect term that's rarely used in churches any longer. Who are the slaves of Satan? Sinners. Sinners. Who are sinners? How many sinners we have here this morning? I raise both hands. We are sinners by nature because we were born into sin. We inherited a predisposition towards 
self-centeredness, selfishness, self-directedness, rebellion against God's perfect will. We inherited this from who? Our first two parents, Adam and Eve. A predisposition towards disobedience, rebellion, self-will. Ever tried taking a toy away from a two-year-old? They'll cut your hand off. Mine! Mine! Who taught them that? They were born with that. By nature, we are sinners. We are also sinners by behavior. We have all sinned. John chapter 8 verse 34 says, Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of, of the glory of God. So we're enslaved to sin. We're in bondage to our taskmaster, Satan. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, Once you were dead because of your many sins, just like the rest of of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God so as long as we're enslaved to sin and Satan just that long we experience spiritual death we are the true zombies we are the true walking dead we're born into sin. We're born into spiritual death. We're on a highway to hell. There is no hope because we have been born into sin. Because of that fact, we need to be born again. Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, Know you not that you must be born again. That's our only hope. How did that spiritual birth take place? On the day of days, Jesus was crucified upon the cross. Though millions have been crucified in ancient times, His death was unlike any other. The Bible says at 9 o'clock in the morning, as He was nailed to that tree, He prayed, Father, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Immediately following that, he called for his beloved disciple John, and he put John in charge of taking care of his mother Mary. Just before 12 o'clock noon, he leaned over to the criminal at his side and said, This day, you will be with me in paradise. And exactly at 12 o'clock, the Bible says that God engulfed the entire scene, yea, the entire planet, in utter pitch black darkness that enveloped the world. This was no solar eclipse. The Passover upon which Jesus died can only be held when there's a full moon. It's impossible to have a solar eclipse when there's a full moon. This was a supernatural darkness that ancient historians record engulfed the entire planet. Why? Why such darkness? 
Why did God draw a veil of darkness at the cross so that the world could not see the one hanging upon that tree? You see, until then, Jesus had not uttered a whimper. And then out from the darkness, the people could hear a voice screaming from the cross, Eli! Eli! Lama Sabachthani! My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? What was happening? What was transpiring? What, what transaction was taking place from heaven? Do you realize that at that moment in redemption history, God was taking every evil, filthy, dirty, perverted, gross sin and dumping it on Jesus, His Son. Every wickedness from the past, the present, every sin that would ever be committed, He was pouring it out upon His Son. But more than just placing it upon the head of Jesus, my Bible and your Bible states that God made His Son guilty responsible for every sin as though Jesus had committed every one of those sins. And then the pent-up holiness, the pent-up righteousness, the pent-up justice of God, His wrath towards sin was poured out like an atomic blast upon His Son Jesus. It's no wonder Jesus cried. Ever wonder why Jesus cried, my God, twice? My God, my God, why not my God? Why hast thou forsaken? But he said, my God, my God. In Aramaic, Eli, Eli, he was crying out, my God, the Father, my God, the Holy Spirit, why have you forsaken me? For the first and the last time, the Holy Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was being ripped apart. Jesus had not only been forsaken by his countrymen, he had not only been forsaken by his brothers and sisters, his siblings, forsaken by his disciples, the religious leaders. Jesus was forsaken by the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, for God is holy and He cannot have fellowship with sin. And He turned His back upon His only Son. Why? Because all of my sins and your sins were on Jesus. It was as though Jesus had committed every one of my sins and your sins. And God could not have fellowship. He was forsaken that we might be accepted. He was made sinful that we might be made righteous. He died that we might really live both here and now and in the hereafter. This is what Jesus did for you and I.
that's not the end of the story. Just before Jesus gave up his last breath, just before he died, Jesus victoriously uh, shouted, not a sound of defeat whatsoever. Jesus shouted from the cross in the Greek language. It is written, Tetelestai. It's translated, it is finished. It is more adequately translated, paid in full. Say it with me. Paid in full. Full. What did Jesus use to transact kingdom business, salvation business with your soul and my soul? What did he redeem us from slavery to Satan with? What did he use? Peter the Apostle says, uh, once uh, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, communion, uh, the, the cup and the bread reminds me that you uh, and me, we didn't come cheap. Jesus didn't pull out his MasterCard or his Visa. He paid for you and I with his own precious blood. There's no sweeter phrase than paid in full. You've heard me share, uh, there was no greater time in my financial life than when I got receipts back from the college my kids attended, stamped with paid in full. What did Jesus pay in full for us? Hebrews chapter 2 records, In dying, Jesus broke the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through the fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. There it is. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt. We couldn't possibly pay. We needed someone to take our sins away. Jesus is that someone. Many don't understand that at the cross, Jesus forgave everyone. Jesus redeemed everyone, not just Christians. Everyone received grace at the cross. Everyone was saved at the cross. Everyone was redeemed at the cross. The blood of Jesus, it flows to the highest mountain and to the lowest valley. The blood will never lose its power. It didn't just redeem good people, Christian people. Everybody on the planet was redeemed. The question and the issue of the hour is this. Have you accepted his forgiveness, His grace. Have you accepted your redemption? The old story goes of a young rich man. This young man was from an influential, wealthy, powerful family, but he had committed murder. He was found guilty. He was sentenced to the electric chair. As he waited on death row, because of the influence of this wealthy family, his parents, they went to the governor of this eastern state and they 
won a pardon that would not only keep their, their son from death, but save him and set him free. When the court pardon was brought to the boy, the young man in prison on death row, he sadly shook his head. He said, no, I'm a murderer. I'm guilty. I deserve to die. And he rejected the pardon. Though the parents went back to court, the court ruled that a pardon that is not accepted is ruled null and void. There it is. Every single one of us have been forgiven. The issue of the hour is this. Have you accepted His forgiveness, His pardon? John chapter 1 says, But to all who received Him, He gave the right to become the children of God. All they needed to do was to trust Him to save them. Bow your heads with me, Father. In the name of Jesus, come, sweet Holy Spirit, and knock upon hearts' doors and woo us to your grace. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I speak to your heart this morning. You have entered this church. You've come to this service. And you have been welcomed. You are invited to enjoy Holy Communion and celebrate <laughs> freedom, redemption in Christ Jesus our Lord. You do not have to be a member of this church, but you do need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you accepted the pardon delivered to you by the Son of God, Christ Jesus? He will not force Himself upon you. You must open your heart to receive Him. How about it? How about it? Isn't it time to say yes to Jesus? If sin is separating you from receiving communion this morning, how about it? There's grace that is ready to cover you. The Bible says if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Isn't it time to come clean before the Lord and ask Him to do what only He can do? To redeem you. To make you righteous. I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation this morning. A prayer that will make you right with God. A prayer that will allow you to receive Holy Communion if you don't feel you're right with Him. A prayer that will give you a home in heaven. If you would like to be included in this prayer, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you just lift up a hand right now if you would like to be included in this prayer? Just lift it up high so that I can see it. No one will embarrass you or call you out. This is an act of your faith. I want to be included in this prayer. Thank you. 
thank you. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high so that I can see it. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Let us pray right now, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Make this prayer your prayer. Everyone pray it out loud with me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner, but Jesus, you're my Redeemer. Save me from my sin. Set me free from the power of the enemy. I believe you died for me. You redeemed me, not with silver or gold, but with your precious blood. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. Real life in the here and now. Eternal life in the hereafter. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for cleansing me, for changing me. In the name of Jesus, I receive this as I believe it. Amen.